and welcome to our CDH Conversations podcast, specifically today for our real estate department. Today's topic will be a discussion about servitudes. Joining us today is one of our Cliff Decker Hofmeyer Senior Associates, Marlene Heppies. Marlene has many years experience in the real estate sector and has kindly agreed to give our listeners a bit of insight into various servitudes that they might encounter which may be registered over their properties or servitudes a person may wish to have registered over their properties. Marlene, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Kirsty, and hi, listeners. Thank you for having me. Yes, so servitudes is maybe not a common term and maybe not a well-known term. No, I think people hear that and they get like the like cold sweats. <laughs> they go into oh a panic. Oh my gosh, there's something wrong with my property. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, servitude isn't something to be alarmed about. It basically means that your right as owner gets somewhat limited. It gives a limited real right to someone other than the owner over the property. Okay. And why would these servitudes be so important? Why must people know exactly what's going on with their servitudes? Look, you as a property owner will typically have a title condition which is a servitude in favor of council. So this is referred to as a municipal servitude. And the servitude is usually to say that you may not build or erect any structure on a certain portion of your land. The reason being that council has infrastructure below the ground, such as water pipes and sewerage pipes. So they need to be able to access the property to maintain these things. So if you think about your front lawn, maybe you've had the instance where there's a burst water pipe, council comes out and they dig up your whole front lawn, but they actually are entitled to do this because there is a servitude in their favor, which is registered over your property. Ah, so some of those servitudes that we've seen before, which state that you're not allowed to build or not allowed to plant any large root trees in a specific area of your property, this would be the reason that those trees could damage the infrastructure that is beneath the ground. Exactly. So servitudes are generally practical things. They're not just registered to impose on people for no reason. There are also other types of servitudes in the broader picture there would be two types of servitudes being a personal servitude and what we call in legal terms a pradial servitude. So a personal servitude attaches to a person. Examples would be usufruct, which is the right to make use of the fruits of a property. Usus is another one. It's a Latin term, which means literally to use the property. And the third one, which is quite common, also the Latin word habitatio, which means to be able to live in a property. So sometimes you'll see in a will, for instance, the property is owned by the husband, the father, um, who leaves the house to his children in his will, subject to a lifelong usufruct in favor of his surviving spouse, which will mean that the property will then get transferred to the children, but there will be a title condition in terms of the will and how the clause in the will reads to say that the ownership is subject to the mother being able to live in the property for the duration of her life. So a personal servitude really lapses on the death of a person unless it's stipulated that it's registered for a specific time. Okay. So, in general, these are often lifelong usufructs or usufruct uses habitatio. So, it's a lifelong real right that the user receives. So, when the person passes away, 
that servitude then passes away with them, essentially. Does that happen automatically or must the owner of the land actually do something to remove that servitude from the title deed? Usually an application will be brought in terms of Section 68 of the Deeds Registries Act when a restrictive condition such as a usufruct has lapsed. If there is still an entity which is in being in whose favour the servitude is registered and they consent to removal of such condition, that's also possible. But if someone has passed away, obviously they can't consent to removal of this condition, then it will merely be an application by the owner of the property to have this condition removed because it's no longer relevant. But in that situation, if the person is still alive, they would need to consent to removing that servitude. Correct. And an interesting thing is there's actually a a monetary value attached to a servitude. Um, So you can, for instance, a usufruct someone who has the right to the use of the property and its fruits. A practical example would be you've got usufruct over a property. It doesn't mean you have to physically live there. You can even rent out the property and be entitled to the rental income. So, you know, the rental income would be seen as the fruits of the property. But if the owner wishes to buy out this usufruct holder, they can do so and they will have to determine a value which attaches to the servitude. And that value is based on a person's life expectancy, is it not? Yes, yes. There are certain tables, and Ah. without going into too much detail, there are actually tables and uh, calculations which are generally used to determine a value for a servitude. There's also the pradial servitude, which I referenced briefly, and that would be from one piece of land over another piece of land, and that attaches to the land itself. So that will not lapse upon the death of the original owner. Because the servitude attaches to the land, even on transfer of that property, the servitude condition gets brought forward in perpetuity. So something like a panhandle earth, for instance, if you think about practically there being two urban at the front and two urban at the back probably was a bigger stand which was divided into four portions, the houses at the back will still need street access. So then typically a servitude of right of way would get registered over one of the front properties, would be in favor of the property at the back, which would be referred to as the dominant tenement in legal terms. And the front property would be referred to as the servient tenement because they are giving away some of their rights to the owners at the back to be able to access their property. So again, you can see it's it's a very practical thing. Yes, and it will move along with the property. So whether that property at the back or at the front is sold to 10 different people, that right is attached to the property and will continue forever and ever and ever to exist unless, for example, the, the owner of the front portion of property and the owner of the back portion of property are perhaps the same person and perhaps want to make one big house on that property. In that case, they could perhaps cancel the servitude Correct. and consolidate the property. Is that possible? You're quite right. So, you cannot have a servitude over your own property in favor of yourself. It, it's just an anomaly. So if, for instance, there are two properties, exactly like you've explained in your example, where the owner of the front property acquires the property at the back and actually decide to consolidate these two properties, then the servitude would fall away. 
in any case because it would only be one property. I see. Marlene, I definitely wanted to ask you one more question for our listeners. It is something that a lot of our listeners, most of them live in, in homeowners association estates nowadays. That homeowners association condition in our title deeds, that's a type of servitude, is it not? A type of restrictive servitude, something that moves along with the property. How does that work exactly? Okay, so that is a very relevant question. If you think about buying into a new estate, for instance, usually reference would be made in your sale agreement to a homeowners association, which is going to be formed in respect of this estate, and that all new buyers need to become a member of this homeowners association and be subject to its rules. So typically, a homeowners association would look after the grounds and the roads and the gardens and whatever is described in their constitution, and the owners would need to pay levies to the homeowners association. But, you know, owners may not wish to pay the levies. And if the homeowners association's rights aren't entrenched and aren't actually reflecting in the title deed, they may end up with a lot of unpaid accounts. So, in order for the homeowners association to ensure that they actually get paid, they would then basically have a negative personal servitude in their favor, which is created in the power of attorney to do the first transfer, which says that all owners need to become members of the homeowners association and no transfer may be effected without the homeowners association issuing a homeowners association clearance certificate. And Marlene, this is attached to the land. So what if I buy in a homeowners association and I decide I don't want to be part of that homeowners association? Unfortunately, you will be bound by it. Because of this condition, the property will only get transferred once the new purchaser has signed membership documents and once the seller has paid the levy clearance figures. So the homeowners association really has a very strong right in this instance because the property transfer just cannot be affected without that certificate being lodged. So it's attached to the property. It's a very strict rights. If, if you don't want to be part of the homeowners, you mustn't go and live there, I'm assuming. Basically, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Hey, well, let's be honest. I mean, if that is what the right is, that that is the strong right that is created in favor of that homeowners association. Yes. I guess if I live in a homeowners association, I want to know that my neighbor is also paying levies and also has to stick to the various rules of that homeowners association. That's what's going to allow us to live harmoniously in that regard. So what's good for me is good for my neighbor and I know is applicable to everyone in my street. So there's a fairness factor that comes through knowing that we're all part of the same group and we must all stick to the same rules. Yes, exactly. So, you know, if you're not buying from the developer directly, you may allege that you didn't know about the condition, but the condition is in the existing title deed and your conveyancer will pass on documents which you need to sign to become a member. So once transfer takes place, there the cannot be any doubt that the purchaser knew that this property is subject to the rights of a homeowners association. And those conditions actually then become a title condition in the title deed and will remain in perpetuity, basically. Interesting. I just want to ask one last question, sort of move to the end of a servitude's life. We can remove a servitude. Perhaps it's no longer needed. It's no longer used. Can various owners of property remove servitudes? And how would they go about removing servitudes from their title deeds? Yes. So, like I said, the servitude is a notarial agreement. So, in order to cancel such servitude, 
a notarial agreement of cancellation needs to be entered into between the relevant parties, which agreement then also gets lodged at the deeds office and the servitude is then cancelled. So this cannot be unilateral. It will have to be from both sides. If there is a bond registered over the property, the bondholder would need to consent. So basically, it needs to be by mutual agreement. It is an agreement that is registered in the deeds office. And then I'm assuming they rubber stamp, they endorse the title deed again to say that it's been cancelled? Correct. Because this actual servitude document, the servitude gets cancelled, that is one step. But the second step would be because initially you'll remember that the condition is endorsed on the title deed. The deeds office will again affix a rubber stamp to indicate that the servitude has been cancelled. And then in subsequent transfers, that title condition will no longer be brought forward. So in further transfers, there won't be the confusion of seeing a servitude condition and it having already been cancelled. The condition will merely be removed from subsequent transfers. Very, very interesting. I actually wanted to just, in closing, give a, a final interesting example of servitudes. It's not always a negative thing because you actually can stand to make a bit of money. If a network provider or cell phone service provider wants to erect a cell phone tower in your area and your property happens to be ideally situated, they may actually approach you and ask you whether they can erect the structure or the cell phone tower on your property, but they will pay quite handsomely for this opportunity. So bear in mind that it's it's not always just a negative thing. Something like a cell phone tower servitude or an ESCOM power line servitude. I've registered a few of these and and you know these companies are willing to pay good money to the property owner to have the right to erect their structure on that property. That's amazing. So that is how these cell phone towers and various network providers, that is how they operate. They would approach property owners and ask to make use of a piece of land and that is then registered as a servitude. Correct, yes. So they don't just merely come and trample over your property. They actually would have a servitude registered. Typically, the servitude would allow them access to their structure to do some maintenance work. So they would need access to the property and hence this is why they register the servitude. But it's not just a favor that you're doing them. They do actually pay you for registering the servitude in their favor. So that's a bit of a departure from the normal day-to-day, the municipal and the right-of-way servitude. There are actually quite a few servitudes which have large amounts of money linked to them. Absolutely amazing. Marlene, thank you. A little bit of inside scoop when you drive past another tower that uh, you know is part of a specific cell phone brand. Yeah, take a look at it. Look at the house next door and know that that owner is getting a monthly rental or various income from having that big monstrosity of a device on their property. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I can tell our listeners, if you have any questions, give Marlene a ring. (laughs) She'll definitely be able to answer whatever questions you have. It has been very informative to find out a bit more about servitudes. And for our listeners, I think also to know that they should find out a bit more about what servitudes are potentially over their property. Great stuff. Thanks so much, Kirsty. I really appreciate it. The views and information expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily present those of the firm. All content is provided for general purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. We make no representations, warranties or guarantees, whether expressed or implied, that the content on our podcast is accurate, complete, up-to-date or reflects the current law. 
we accept no responsibility for any loss or damage, whether direct or consequential, arising from reliance on the information which is presented here.